Hear me now. Well, it is 1030, and so we're going to start our service with baptism. It's always a great time when we get to do that. So let me just say a couple words about baptism. I know we got people still coming in. There we go. A couple words about baptism. One is that baptism is a picture, right? It's an outward picture, an outward sign, an outward demonstration of, of what's happening inside, right? So when we take somebody down in the water, right, we know that we've been buried in Christ. We've died to our sins and we're raised to walk in newness of life. And so you see, I'm not wearing my white robe like I typically do. I've got a t-shirt that says raised to new life. And so from now on, anybody who's baptized, they're going to be baptized in a shirt that says raised to new life. Um, not only is this a testimony, but maybe ongoing, if they wear that shirt, it's an opportunity to say, hey, listen, Jesus has raised me to life. And the other thing that baptism is, is it's an act of obedience. So what Jesus calls us to, right, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this morning's a celebration, Amen. So you, you can clap, you can shout, we're rejoicing that God has raised somebody up to new life. And this morning, they're going to come and make that public. So let me pray, and then we will baptize. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you, Father, for saving us. Lord, that is our only hope, as we're going to talk about this morning. The only way that we can be accepted by you, the only way that we can be made right with you, has nothing to do with our effort or our works and has everything to do with Jesus. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's what Sydney is about to demonstrate for us this morning as an act of obedience before friends, before family, before her church, before the world. She is saying, I have been raised to new life through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, may we celebrate the fact that you still save and rescue sinners like us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Miss Sydney. All right, if you just walk up here, you don't have to step up there, though. All right, so this is Sydney Blackstock. Uh, when she came forward you know, several weeks ago, I shared just personally how much she means to me and, and how exciting it is to see her grow and then to see her make that profession of faith. I know that I'm not the only one excited. I know our church family is excited, but I also know you have family and friends who are here as well. So if you are a family, a friend, you're here to support Sydney this morning, would you please stand? I think you're all over there in that corner. There we go. All right, you all can be seated. So you got all these people cheering you on, right? Not just today, but going forward. So I have one question for you. Sydney, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. All right. Then based upon that profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Hi, girl. Amen. Praise the Lord. What's well, a great day to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to have an awesome time of just praising the name of God. But before we do that, would you please stand and welcome those around you?
You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. Our prayer is this morning, as we just sang, that you're building your life upon Jesus, who is that firm foundation. But then that you're praying, Lord, who can I show this with? Like, who, who needs to know this hope, this truth, this gospel, and that we're living uh, that out? Right? That's why we gather. We gather because we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, but also as a church, right, we, we belong to a family and we want to become more like Jesus. And if we're going to become more like Jesus, and that means we have to live on mission, so we, we want to bless. We want to bless our neighbors. We want to bless family. We want to bless them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so thank you for being here. I already started our service in a fantastic way. If this is your first time with us, whether you came because of Sydney or maybe you just came because the Spirit of God led you here, thank you for being here. We would love for you to let us know this is your first time. You can do that a couple ways. There's a QR code that you can scan in the bulletin, fill out a couple questions online, nothing too personal. Um, we don't want a credit card or anything like that, just some information. Um, and, or you can pick up a connection card um, on your way out. Let me just make one announcement right now, um, and we'll make some others later. But Awana begins tonight. Anybody excited for Awana? Let me hear you. Um, so there's a couple things in addition to the announcement in the bulletin. If you are a leader in Awana in any capacity, you're helping. We're having a leaders meeting at 415. So you need to be here at 415. The other thing that will really help us out is if your kids are coming, there's an info sheet out there on the welcome desk. It would be amazing if you would take one of those, fill it out this afternoon so when you come back tonight, it's already good to go. So if you'll do uh, that for us, we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. All right, let us go to the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to continue uh, worshiping together in song. Father, we have already sung, Lord, of your power and your majesty and your glory. You are a God who saves. And you have allowed us to see that this morning through an act of obedience in baptism. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room, Lord, that is their testimony. That they were buried in Christ. That they died to their sins. That they have been born again and they have been raised to new life. Raised to walk in that new life that Jesus, only you can give us. Father, this morning we are going in our sermon to look at the most important question that we can possibly answer. The question that how we answer that determines not only our hope here, but our eternal destination. When we take our last breath, or Jesus, when you return, where we spend all eternity is dependent upon the answer to the question that will be asked this morning in the message. Father, my prayer is that every single person in this room will respond in the right way to that question. Everyone in this room is going to make a decision. Either they will say yes to the truth that is presented this morning, or they will say no. But everyone in here will make a decision. My prayer is that all of us can say yes. This is what we believe. This is how we are made right with God. This is how God accepts man. And if anyone in this room has not said yes to the correct answer, 
to the Spirit of the living God, will you convict them, even right now, through the songs that we sing, draw them to yourself. Begin to breathe life into their dead body. Begin to breathe hope into their hopeless life. They're blinded by the God of this world. This morning, God, would you peel back those blinders so that they can see the truth of the gospel for the first time. Lord, we love you. We come before you humbly because there simply is no other way to come. We come with hearts filled with gratitude because of what you have done for us, through us, in us, and what you're going to do going forward. You receive and you alone receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand again as we worship?
Thank you, choir. All right, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 18. At this time, our kids are going to make their way out for Children's Church. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. We'll read that in just a couple minutes. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. 
In Psalm 143, verse 2, we read these words. For no one living is righteous before you. For no one living is righteous before you. In Job chapter 9, verse 2, Job asked the following question. How can man be in the right before God? How can man, man that Psalm 143 says no one is righteous, how can man be in the right before God? And so the question before us today is the most important question you will ever answer. So important that your answer determines where you spend eternity when you die and how you have hope while you live. So here's the question. You ready for the question? How is one justified or made right with God? Or to word it another way, what is the ground or what is the basis of your acceptance before God? So on what grounds will God accept you into his presence because you are now right with God? How can man, Job says, be in the right before God? At the age of 16, Augustus Toplady, which has to be one of the coolest names ever, Augustus Toplady, was sitting in a barn, listening to preaching, and was dramatically converted. He became a powerful and respected minister of the Anglican Church. He would die at the age of 38, but a poem he wrote would outlive him and has been called by some the best known, the best loved, and most widely used useful hymn in the English language. Here was the poem that was turned into a song. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath, and make me pure. In the next verse, he answers the question, how can somebody be made right and accepted by God? Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. How can a man, how can a woman, how can a kid, how can a teenager, how can you this morning be made right with God so that you know that God will accept you. Well, Jesus answers that question by telling us a parable. So Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, reading through verse 14, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You may be seated. Listen, I know that for most of us in this room, this is a familiar parable. I'm not going to teach you anything this morning that you're going to be like, oh, wow, I never heard that before. That's not my job to add new things into the scripture. But I do pray that whether you're a believer or you know you're not a believer in Christ or you are not sure that you will just open your heart, open your mind, and let the Spirit of God speak to you. So Jesus tells this parable. Luke tells us in verse 9, he tells us who the audience is. He told this parable to some who, notice two things about them, trusted in themselves that they were righteous so his audience is a group of people who were trusting relying on depending on putting confidence in themselves this is pride and they're specifically putting it in their righteousness in their goodness so you got a people who they're pretty confident in their own righteousness and then it says they treated others with contempt. Now that word contempt is the Greek word ek utheneo. Ek means out of. The second part of that word means not or not one. It literally means out of nothing. So they were treating other people as if they were nothing, as if they were nobodies. We're super religious, we're super spiritual, and you are a nothing, nobody, and they would treat other people with contempt. So this is the audience, and Jesus tells them this parable. Two men, we're introduced to two men, went up into the temple to pray. Typically, that'd be the morning and the afternoon. There'd be sacrifices. They would go up to offer a sacrifice and pray. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Here they are, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So let's talk about the first individual that is mentioned. We are introduced to a self-righteous Pharisee. Now, I don't have any notes this morning on the screen, so if you're taking notes, you'll just have to follow along. You won't get the aid of cheating up there. The self-righteous Pharisee, right? The Pharisees were the religious elites. They were the ones to, to be considered, right? They knew the law. They were religious. They were well-respected by many people. I mean, it was the top of the top. And what do we know about him. Well, notice first of all his posture. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed. That's how the ESV translates that. But you can also translate it, standing he prayed to himself. So either he is standing, and there's nothing wrong with standing. That's how people often prayed. So that's not what's wrong. But either he's standing by himself, sort of drawing attention to himself, or we interpret that he is in essence praying to himself, which means God's not hearing him. God's not listening. He's just praying. And Jesus wants us to know the Lord's not listening. What else do we know? We know that he's a moral man. Look what he says. As he's praying in his prayer, God, I thank you. Now, if we stop there, that's a pretty good way to start a prayer. Either it's a a thanksgiving, God, I thank you for your blessings, I thank you for this, or it's a praise, God, I thank you for being awesome and holy. So it starts off good. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners. God, they're extortioners, but I'm an honest man. 
I'm not unjust. I'm fair in my dealings with other people. God, I thank you that I'm not an adulterer. I'm a faithful husband. God, I thank you that I am not even like this tax collector over here who was a traitor, who was a dishonest man. Now listen, if you're just going based on that, this is the kind of member of the church you want. Like it's good if you're not an adulterer. Praise the Lord. Like that's good that you're not an extortioner, that you're not a traitor. Like this is an upstanding man that we would welcome as a member of our church, a man of integrity. But he's also a religious man. He says, I fast twice a week. Now, Old Testament, there was only one commanded fast a year. It was the Day of Atonement. And here he is fasting twice a week. That's impressive. He gives tithes of all that I get. Again, but may a religious man, hopefully maybe you're fasting, you're reading, you're, you're being faithful. Hopefully you're tithing. That'd be great if you're tithing on everything. Like This guy tithes on his gross, not his net. Like, this is a super spiritual guy, right? I mean, this is the top. And so, listen, the audience would have been impressed by him because many of them were just like him, and they were impressed. See, their mentality, the Pharisees, the religious, was, I don't do this, I do this, therefore I'm righteous before God. I don't do what these guys are doing, I do this, they're not doing this, therefore I'm right with God. But here's the problem. God looks at the heart. And God knows this Pharisee and the other Pharisees, he knows their motive. And their motive is not to please God, it's to look good in the sight of others. So when you read the Gospels, let me just give you a few examples. Matthew 6, 5, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to stand. Nothing wrong with standing. And pray that they may be seen by others. Don't be like that. Don't pray just so other people are like, man, that is impressive the way that you prayed. Matthew 6, 16, don't fast to be seen by others. Matthew 23, 3, for they preach, but they do not practice. Matthew 23, 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Luke 16, 14, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Here's the deal with this Pharisee. Here's the deal with when you put your hope in yourself, your righteousness. So this Pharisee is very aware of everyone else's sins and very unaware of his own. He has no need. He doesn't think he needs forgiveness for his sins. He's righteous. He's good. An upstanding individual. And I can imagine the audience is just applauding him. And then Jesus tells us about another man. Very different. He uses the word but to let you know there's going to be something different here. But the tax collector, notice his posture, standing far off. Like as far away as you could probably get, that's where he is. Why? Because we see that he's a humble man. Look what it says. He's standing far off. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Oftentimes when we pray, we say, bow your head. I don't know why the preacher's done that a long time, but maybe it's from this, because this guy's, his head is bowed, he's not looking to the heavens, he's humble, and the reason he's humble is because he realizes he's a sinful man. Look what he says, but he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Very different than the Pharisee. 
Someone standing far off, head down, saying, God, be merciful to me. God, my only hope here today is your mercy. I know who I am. I know my need. I know I'm wretched. Be merciful to me. You and I need to recognize that we are sinners. As much as you want to think you're like the Pharisee and you're righteous, the reality is you are not. All of your righteousness piled up is like a filthy rag before God. What you and I are is sinners. And that truth should humble you. This man is humbled because he realizes he's a sinner. But hear me, you can't come to faith in Christ apart from humility. We're going to get to the answer as to how can you be made right with God. It it requires humility. You have to humble yourself. You have to recognize you have a need that you are a sinner. But please hear me. That humility does not stop the moment Jesus saves you. And unfortunately, we see that way too often. Christians sometimes can be the most arrogant, proud people who think we are better than other people because our sins are different than their sins. You begin with humility and you never stop being humble. You live the rest of your life in humility. We're going to look at a lot of stories around this parable. Go back to Luke 17 and look at this story, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And what happens is he enters into a village and he encounters 10 lepers. These 10 lepers come and they appeal to the mercy of Jesus. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Why would they go to the priest? Because the priest wouldn't pronounce them clean. And so Jesus is saying, hey, go show yourself to the priest. By the time you get there, you'll be healed. I'll have mercy on you. And so they leave, and as they go away, they're cleansed. Look at verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Listen, All ten believed Jesus could heal them. They must have seen it. They must have heard the stories. They're appealing to the mercy. But only one stops to come back in his humility and praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Only one. The other nine just keep going on about their business to the priest. And this man was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, you are saved because of Jesus' grace. Amen? So be humble. Stay humble. Keep relying on the mercy. Keep coming. Keep praising. Keep thanking God because it's only by his grace that we are saved. Now here's the point of the parable. Verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. There's that word. How can one be justified? How can one be made right with God? This man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You and I have to understand how angry this would have made his audience. How shocked and outraged they would have been. Because he is speaking to Pharisees. And he says, the one who went home righteous was not the one like you. 
It was the very man you despise, that you hate, that you think is a nobody and a nothing. He's the one that went home justified. Now that word justify means to accept as righteous, to acquit, to make right with God. Now when you get into the, the, the epistles and you begin to get into the apostle Paul, right, the word justification takes on more of a legal term that we're declared righteous by God, that His righteousness is given to us. But just the basic understanding of justification just simply means to be made right with God. It means to acquit. It means to accept as righteous. So here's the question before us this morning. How is one justified? How are you made right with God? What is the ground or what is the basis of our acceptance with God? There's three ways that you can answer that question. The first way you can answer it is the way the Pharisee would have answered it. And the first way that you can answer the question, how are you made right with God, is simply to say it's based upon my works. You'll notice the Pharisee said I five times. I, 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 I. It was all about him. It's all his works. It's all his deeds. It's all his effort. That was the Pharisee. You ask people, so if you were to die today and you were to stand before God, and God were to say, hey, why should I forgive you? Why should I let you into my presence? Why should you spend eternity with me? A lot of people, people who have nothing to do with Jesus, will say, because I'm a good person. Because I do good things. They're just like the Pharisee. Hear me, every other religion outside of Christianity is all about what you can do to earn salvation. What you can do to get to God, whichever God you worship, it's all on you. It's your effort. It's your works. And that was the Pharisee. And we live, we're surrounded by people who want nothing to do with Jesus. But if you ask them, what's your hope? They will say, I'm a good person. That's not the correct answer to the question, by the way. But there's a second answer. And the second answer is the correct answer. And that is you are made right with God because of Jesus Christ alone. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. There's nothing else. It's Jesus Christ alone. That was the tax collector. He was appealing simply to the mercy of God. There was nothing he was offering up. He knew, God, if you don't have mercy on me, I'm in trouble. Jesus is our hope. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. It's not Jesus plus anything. Now, most of you in this room, maybe all of us in this room, hopefully would not say, I'm saved because of my works. It's all in my effort. My prayer is everyone in this room would say, I am saved only because of Jesus Christ. But there's a third option. And that is Jesus plus my works. It's a combination. This is the Roman Catholic Church. We talked about this yesterday morning. And before that, earlier in the week, I was reading and read some of the same quotes that the men's ministry shared without my knowing. This is the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholics believe in the death of Jesus. They don't exclude that. But that's not sufficient. It's Jesus plus what they do. The problem is it's not just Roman Catholics. It's even a lot of Christians who may not verbally say it's Jesus plus my works, but the way we live our life, our hope really is, I got a lot of Jesus, 
But at the end of the day, man, I'm still putting confidence in myself. I'm still trusting in myself. It's, it's why a lot of people do what they do. They're, it's just ritual. They go to church because at the end of the day, they think, man, it's up to me. They read their Bible because of obligation. They're doing all of this because at the end of the day, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still adding on. Man, I just can't let go of the fact that maybe I am somewhat responsible for my own salvation. So what is the ground of our acceptance? Well, it's not you. You don't earn it. And this is hard for people to accept. It's countercultural. If you think about it, it's counter to everything you know and in some ways everything that we teach in life. Let me illustrate it. So we're about to start Upward Soccer. I love Upward. What distinguishes Upward, Chris talked about this in our coaches meeting. He does an exceptional job making it organized, leading it. What distinguishes Upward, number one, is the emphasis upon the gospel. This isn't about just playing sports. We're going to get you with the gospel. The other thing that Upward emphasizes is equal playing time. You may be the best kid on the team, and you're going to play the same amount as the worst kid on the team. It's equal playing time. But there's a third thing that separates Upward. And I love that we do it, but even the fact that we do it, I'm going to show you how it's just part of our life. It's the sticker system. Kids get stickers. You get five different colors of stickers if you've never done Upward. You have blue for effort, gray for offense, red for defense, gold for sportsmanship, white for Christ-likeness. Now look, I know why we do it. We try to encourage them. We're rewarding them. But what are they rewarded based on? Their effort. It's not grace. It's their effort. Man, you showed up and you scored four goals. Grace sticker for offense. It's not, man, you showed up and ran around and picked flowers. Blue for effort. You're not getting a blue sticker if you pick flowers. I don't know what you're going to get. I'll figure something out, but it's grace. Right? If you knock over four kids and trip a kid and yell at a kid, you're not getting the sportsmanship award. Your effort doesn't warrant it. You help some kids up. You congratulate. Great job. You've earned this sticker. Now, we do it. I understand why we do it. I love that we do it, but that's all of life. You get an A on the test. Why? Maybe you got lucky. Maybe it was really easy, but more often than not, you got the A because you deserved it. You studied hard. You get the promotion at the job. Why? Every now and then, it's because the dude just likes you better. Sometimes you're passed over the promotion even though you deserve it, but more often than not, you get the promotion because you've been there, you've put in the work, you're honorable, you're reliable, you're doing the job. You start on your team. You made the basketball team and you're a starter. Why? Maybe you're the coach's kid. But more often than not, you're good. You put in the time. You put in the effort. You're out there dancing and you make the cheerleading squad, whatever. It's because you put in the work. You get the diploma. They announce your name. Your family stands and claps. Why? Maybe you got all D's and barely passed. But you put in the effort. You went to class. Do you hear me? All of life, if you think about it, is you're being rewarded for what you've done. And so it's really hard then to come to Christianity and to think, wait a minute, all of my life is about what I've done and I get a pat on the back and now you're telling me I have nothing to do with what we call salvation. That is hard for some people and maybe you to let go of. But hear me. As sinners, we look into the self. 
It's exactly what the Pharisee was doing. He's looking in. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. But Christianity is not looking into the self. It is looking away to Jesus Christ. It is taking the eyes off of us and putting them on Jesus who alone can save. Hear me, please. To add works to your salvation is to detract from Jesus Christ. If you say Jesus saves, but I have a part in it, then you have elevated yourself and you have lowered Jesus' ability to save. It is not Jesus plus you. It is simply Jesus. It is Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. You have nothing to do with that salvation. It is Jesus. It's Jesus only. Your works will not cut it. Notice what the tax collector prays. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know that Jesus is the answer to that prayer, right? Jesus is the answer. When Jesus tells the story and he says, there's a man praying, God, be merciful to me, Jesus already knows the end of the story. He knows he's the answer, that the only way that God can be merciful to us is not because of what we can give to God, but because God sent Jesus to die for us. That's the mercy. That's the grace. Romans 3, 23 through 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus goes on to tell two more stories, right? Two more things, encounters are recorded. Look at verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, look, the disciples aren't innocent either. None of us are perfect. The disciples see people bringing infants and they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me. Why? Do not hinder them. Why? For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then he says this, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Children tend to be more just trusting, more humble, even though there's some pride in there as well because they're not perfect. But we are to come as a child who just comes receiving and trusting Jesus, but then we read another one. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, notice the question. What must I what? Do. What must I say louder? Do. That's what he wants to know. All right, God, what do I got to do? Tell me, Jesus, what do I got to do? How good do I have to be? What do I have to do to receive eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good alone? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. He immediately goes to the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Listen, if I heard those things, I'd be like, yeah, I failed all of them. But not this guy. He's confident. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. That's impressive. Like, I've done them all, Jesus. Every single thing you just mentioned, I'm good. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. What's Jesus doing? Jesus knows, based upon this man's confession, that this man believes he's kept the last part of the commands. So what's Jesus do? He cuts right to the issue. He goes right to the heart. He says, okay, man, here's what you don't, I want you to do. I want you to go sell all that you have distributed to the poor. The guy's like, mm, no, can't do that. Why? Because he loves money more than he loves God. And what's the commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Does this man love the Lord God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength? Eh, fail. 
Has he putting anything before God? Ding, ding, ding. Yes, he is. He has failed. See, here's the problem. When you put your faith in yourself, you have to understand the criteria is not you are better than other people. Yes, you're better than other people. And there are some people a lot better than you. So if your hope is in yourself this morning, or you think it's Jesus, but you just keep trusting in yourself, please hear me. Your standard is perfection. Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You want to stand before God one day and put all of your hope in you? That's fine, but you better be perfect. If you're perfect, you got no problem. But you're not perfect. No one is outside of Jesus. And yet we keep putting our trust in ourselves. That's why some people come to church. That's why some people read their Bible. That's why some people tithe. That's why some people even go to Sunday school. It's because in their hearts and minds, they think it's Jesus. But man, if I do all these things, that's really going to impress God. And I'm just going to add it in just in case the whole thing with Jesus falls apart. At least I can fall back on this is why I do this. But hear me. We don't do those things. We don't do those things because we think it will merit God saving us. And if that's why you're doing them, then your faith is misplaced. We do all the things I just mentioned because God has already saved us. It's the joy of our heart. Like somebody said yesterday, this isn't a, this isn't a we have to, like we got to. This is a we get to. We get to worship together. We get to open God's word and read it. We get to sing praises. We get to be part of a Sunday school class. We get to share our faith. We get to do these things out of joy, not out of obligation. Now, some of you, the reality is maybe you're not doing those things. As a pastor, if I'm honest, I just don't have the joy coming to church. I don't have the joy in reading God's word. I don't have the joy to tell other people about Jesus. So what do I do? Here's what I would say to you. Just start doing it. Do it out of obligation at first. Just open God's word even if you feel like you have to, and start reading. Because what I'm telling you is what's going to happen. Day after day, your got to will eventually become a get to. Because you're going to realize, man, you have been born again and saved and changed, and, and good works matter, but that's after Jesus has saved us, not prior. And so where's your hope? Let's go to verse 14b quickly. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me point out some Greek here. For everyone who exalts himself, that's the present active. They are presently, actively exalting themselves. Jesus says, will be humbled. That word humble appears in the present tense, future, I mean future tense, future, you're going to be humbled, and it's in the passive, meaning you won't be humbling yourself, but God is going to humble you one day. But then he goes on to say, but the one who humbles himself, present, active, you're presently, actively seeking to humble yourself, Jesus goes on to say, will be exalted. Future, passive tense. Meaning, you're not going to stand before God one day and say, okay, finally time to exalt myself. No, Jesus will do that for you. You've lived a humble life. You've lived a life dependent upon Jesus, and God will exalt you. When that time comes, he will exalt you in glory. So here's, here's the deal as we close. 
you have a choice. This morning you have heard the gospel. You have heard enough gospel, enough truth to save you. You've heard the gospel. Now you must respond. You must decide. How are you going to be made right with God? It's your decision. Everyone in this room, everyone watching online, right now, you have to decide. Will you continue to put your hope in your self-righteousness? Or right now, will you say, no, 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 I'm stepping out of that lie, and I'm stepping into Christ's righteousness given to me through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, this morning, will you respond with pride? No, pastor, I know what you said. I know what the Bible says. You just clearly taught it to me this morning. The Spirit of God is even at work in my heart, but man, I'm just too proud. I will not receive. I will not believe. I'm going to stand firm believing that I can save myself. Or will you step over into humility to say, oh no, God, I can't save myself. I'm a wretched sinner who deserves hell, but I'm throwing myself upon your mercy. God, be merciful to me. Will you stand saying, hey, salvation is based upon a human accomplishment. It's what I can do. Or will you step over and to say, no, it is based upon divine accomplishment. Not human achievement, but divine accomplishment. My salvation is all because of Jesus. So hear me as we close. One day, one day you will stand before God. As Augustus Top Lady said, while I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, when I see thee on thy judgment throne. Hear me. Everyone in this room, believer or not, a day's coming in which you will draw your fleeting breath. When your eyes will close in death. When you will soar, I don't know how we're going to get there, but somehow soar, we're going to get before the Father. We're going to stand before the judgment throne. And on that day, where will your hope be? How will God accept you? Based upon what? Here's our hope. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. It is Jesus, it is Jesus, it is Jesus. And if you cannot say this morning, with all of your heart, it's Jesus, then hear me, you are lost and going to hell. It is only Jesus. Anything else will not do. So I plead with you. I have prayed for you. Right now, this message is for lost people. Do you know Jesus? Brothers and sisters, if you do, no matter how dark and scary this world may be, you have a hope that no one can take from you. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? This morning I call you to respond. I call you to respond. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, man, I know Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. Then as we sing this final song, would you just worship? Would you just praise God with all of your heart? Would you just say, God, thank you for being merciful to a sinner like me. Thank you for the way that you were merciful to my spouse. You've been merciful to my children. Begin to give thanks to God for those people who have put their hope and their faith in Jesus. Maybe this morning you would say, Pastor, I know my faith is in Jesus, but 
man, I'm just struggling. I'm going through some things. Life's just been hard. It's been difficult. Maybe you just need somebody to pray for you. Maybe you just need somebody to encourage you. You can come and kneel and pray. You can take somebody by the hand and say, hey, will you just come pray with me? Just to come before the Lord on your face and to say, Jesus, help me. But this message this morning, every message has an intended audience. The message this morning is the Spirit of God worked in my heart. It's really spoken for anyone in this room, anyone watching online, who you know in your heart of hearts you have never, never given your life to Jesus. The Bible says you're lost. You may want to deny it and resist that, but the Bible says you're lost. And in your heart, you know you are. And in your heart, you know there's not enough good that you can do at the end of the day to, to earn your security for all eternity. And so this morning, right now, will you respond? Either you're going to say yes and give your life to Jesus. And based upon Jesus shed blood, his death upon the cross, his resurrection, based upon that, who he is and what he's done, you will be made right with God. Or you will say no to Jesus and continue to put your hope in you. Now you may do that now. You may exalt yourself now. But God will humble you. And it will be too late when you stand before him. Father, speak. My prayer is everyone in this room knows you, Jesus, that everyone has given their life to you. But if anyone is not, Spirit of God, draw them to yourself. Change their lives. Cause them to be born again right now. Right now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, and you're going to decide. You're going to respond as the Spirit of God leads you. Will you choose? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before. time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name and sing like never before oh my soul i worship your holy name you're rich in love and you're slow to Your heart is kind for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find oh bless the Lord oh my soul oh 
His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore bless the lord oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name, oh bless the Lord, oh my soul, His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name, yes I worship your holy name, Lord I worship your You'll just remain standing. Just a couple quick announcements before we pray. Our Deacon of the Week is Larry. If you want to start making your way up, brother. Um, so we got Awana tonight, our senior friends trip. You'll notice it's been postponed. So instead of going, I think it was supposed to be this Thursday, we're going August, and we're going Thursday, September 8th. Um, so you want to pay attention to that. This Saturday, we have a women's ministry um, fellowship. So all ladies want you to be able to be a part of that. And then this afternoon, our women's ministry um, is hosting a bridal shower. So uh, we're excited about that. So you all be here um, for that. There's a lot of other things in the bulletin. Please, please read that. I promise you won't forget things or miss things if you just read the bulletin. All right, Larry's going to pray. He's going to pray from right down there. <laughs> 